I want to welcome Agile XRM to the podcast. I've known the people at Agile XRM for the past 12 years. I've seen how their business process management tool can add massive value to complex organizational processes in sectors such as finance and government. If you have complex processes or a need for dialogues on the Power Platform or Dynamics 365, take a look at how this BPM tool can add value. You can find them at agilexrm.com or check out the show notes for more details. Welcome to the Power Platform Show. Thanks for joining me today. I hope today's guest inspires and educates you on the possibilities of the Microsoft Power Platform. Now, let's get on with the show. In this episode, we're going to be focusing on the COE. Now, it could be Center of Excellence, it could be Center of Enablement, but how do you scale it when we're talking about the Power Platform? Today's guest is from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania in the US. She's a senior solution architect at Hitachi Solutions America. She's a proud, she's a proud cat person, parent, sorry, of two boys, Oscar and Lewis. Uh, she enjoys spending time learning and teaching others about the infinite possibilities of Dynamics and the Power Platform. You can find links to the show notes for this episode. Uh, in this podcast. Em, welcome to the show. Hey, Mark. It's been a minute. How are you doing? Really good, really good. We just worked out before you jumped on that the last time you were on the show was 2021. So time has flown. I can't believe it's been that long. And even in the last couple of weeks since I spoke to you, I've actually uh, gotten a promotion. I'm now the director of Low Wow, Code. the I director. <laughs> that is awesome. That is awesome. I ho- yeah. Hopefully you got a fat pay rise with that as well. Ah, Hitachi take care of me. Good, good, <laughs> good. It's still Hitachi is the is the the one company that's really, you know, risen to the top from the number of MVPs, the number of that you know it indexed heavily on low code earlier. I think that a lot, even though you know it was well into dynamics beforehand. Yeah. So a good company to work for. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we have the legend, Mr. Joel Lindstrom at the helm of things for low code. So you know, you really can't go wrong with having him lead up all of the the team there. So it's been a roller coaster every single week there's something brand new happening and it's yeah. just it's so hard to keep up so you know i always like to do intro to guests but you've been twice on the show already what i would love you to do is just give us a little update around um you know the moves that you've made um in philly and you know i have recently of course seen an amazing photo of where you're where you're living tell us about life in philly why you love why you chose to live there after you know coming from ireland originally what does it for you there so philadelphia is really interesting since we've chatted i've gotten married recently i got married back in november of last yes, year yes congratulations a wonderful wonderful spouse we now have three cats it just seems that we just keep accumulating animals wow i love philadelphia because it's really it's really gritty. Like I know that everyone says that about Philly, but when you live here, it really is like it's, it's, can I swear or no? Yeah. You can do whatever you <laughs> want. Can, great. Well, the, our motto is fuck around and find out. And nice. that's really the attitude of the city. Like if you screw someone over, you're going to know about it. And it's just, um, they very much respect individuality. So as a queer person who's married to a transgender man, it's great. We just get to be ourselves and nobody really bothers us. So there's a real nice element of freedom and getting to be who you are. Nice, nice. So important. I, I hate people, other people interfering in my life ever. And But I think you missed something. Last time I talked, you, you didn't mention a dog then. Don't you have a dog as well? We don't talk about him. He still exists, unfortunately, but 
I try to pretend he doesn't. <laughs> I noticed you skipped over him. Anyhow, we're going to talk about um, uh, the Power Platform. I think last time I was talking to him, did it pee on something while we were talking? Or I don't know. It was doing something that was bothering, chat. you know. Is yeah. Um, that aside, Existing. he was breathing. He was breathing. The Power Platform. Um, you've now been involved in it probably since its nexus when it when it started and and you know I think I first met you in Amsterdam um, all those years ago when you entered the community and seemed to be getting really involved. What are, what have been the highlights um, for you when it comes to the Power Platform and even the way your career has moved with those highlights and, and transitions? That's such a great question. I think for me, the highlight of the Power Platform is how it's now being taken seriously. So the last two or three years, we've really seen it being seen it growing and actually being used for the purpose of which it was developed for, which mm-hmm. is creating business solutions for citizen developers. And if you love or hate that term, it doesn't really matter. Essentially, business users being able to create yeah. the solutions so that IT folk can focus on the cool stuff and mm-hmm. the important mm-hmm. stuff. So seeing it grow from everyone just like creating these like fiddly little apps or little games or whatever to being accepted and respected as an enterprise platform is really exciting. I think and you can see that as well with, you know, we'll talk a little bit about AI, I'm sure. How can you not talk about Power Platform and ignore AI? But seeing it just take center stage at things like Build and things yeah. like um, Ignite and Inspire, it's it's a core part of the power of the Microsoft stack now, and it's getting the respect it finally deserves. Yeah, so, so, so true. Do you, how do you handle a scenario, go into a customer and because you talk about the respect that it, that it's deserved, but I still find I go into customers and they see the word low code. So they in their mind, they go, this is not an enterprise solution. We'll put yeah. it over here. Our developers will build out enterprise solutions inside the organization. We'll use other things like Pega, um, you know, Blue Prism, Appian, any number of, of those other things in the app landscape because – a low-code platform, you couldn't run enterprise software on it. And and I struggle with it being that I've spent 20 years of my career in the space and the Power Platform is the removal of the dynamics, right, part of, of, of the technology to enable us to build any type of solution across my career, build massive solutions um, on what we now call the Power Platform. How do you address that with customers? How do you address the where there's a mindset issue with architects or um, senior stakeholders that is the mindset is due to lack of education? They've taken marketing phrases and that's it. They've made up their mind. That's a really great question. And it's something I face quite regularly. I think it depends on the audience I'm speaking to. If it's a customer that's comfortable with dynamics, understands dynamics, hitting them with Dynamics is just a really souped up power app. And that kind of starts to turn on light bulbs. You know, when you start, I mean, model driven apps are the OG low code apps. I don't care who you are fighting, they are low code. 100%. So when you start talking about that and being like, well, if they're not complex, how come you're running your entire sales org on top of this app? Mm. And then they go, oh, okay, that makes sense. Then a conversation is had if the customer I'm speaking to has a large number of developers in-house the conversation needs to change a little bit because you have the issue of developers starting to either feel threatened or Mm -hmm. like you said, they'll completely disregard the platform. Yeah. There's something to be said about the power of fusion development as well. So fusion development, for those who aren't familiar with this term, is the ability for pro devs and citizen devs or business users to come together to create a business solution. 
And when you start to tell ProDes, hey, you can use the Power Platform to build your custom development apps if you want to, mm. you just leverage your business users to create the interface. I don't know a lot of developers that want to spend time fiddling with this button goes two pixels to the left or mm -hmm. this should be blue. Like most developers I know don't care about that. Mm. They want to get to the logic and the complex things and the automation and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So when I tell those types of developers, hey, you don't have to worry about that. Let your business users customize what the interface is going to look like. You get to do all the cool stuff such as utilizing Azure to as your backend and spinning up all of your resources. And I don't know what any of those words mean. I'm just saying things I've heard my colleague who does Fusion Dev say, yeah. do all those things and leave the boring stuff that you consider boring to the business users. And yeah. I think it becomes really powerful once you figure that out, that you, you it's not just low code, it can be Fusion code too. Yeah. What about um, talking to, uh, I don't know, in your role with you come across those that are responsible for security. How do you how do you set their minds at ease? So this is my area of expertise. I think if you are going to have a conversation about the power platform, it is incredibly negligent to not at least tackle the word governance. It's kind of a boring thing to talk about, but it's so, so important because we've seen in the past with things like SharePoint and Teams and things like mm -hmm. that, if you don't have a good handle on it, things can spiral out of control really quickly. And you have things like sprawl. So it's really important that, and especially now with AI, and I'll get into that too in a second, it's really important that from a security standpoint, you're setting up the digital guardrails to ensure that when your business users are leveraging the platform and learning on the platform, that they're not putting the business at risk by accidentally tweeting out production data, like yeah. here are all of our cost prices for etc. Mm -hmm. So it's really important to ensure that the guardrails are put in place and having those conversations and putting security teams at ease like, hey, yeah, we can do these guardrails for you. What do you want me to set up? We can do a number of different ways. We can do that, but then your business users will also be able to build things and you can kind of sit back and breathe and realize there's no major risk here. And I think um, that's incredibly important, especially with Power pages becoming more and more popular as mm -hmm, well. Mm -hmm. I think I I am hesitant to call Power Pages a citizen developer tool just mm -hmm. because of the fact that there's so much risk involved there with being able to put all of your production data on a website for anyone to access without authentication. So mm -hmm. there's there's security that needs to be put in place. But once the security is in place, the the benefits that you're going to reap because of that are phenomenal. Yeah, yeah, so true. How, tell me a bit about how you normally would engage on a new project where it's greenfields. There's, dare I say it, there's not a single app, there's not a single automation power, and it's very unusual. I mean, I can't even think of an account that I've ever been in that didn't yeah. have anything. But let's say they're pretty much at ground zero, but they have strategically said, you know what, this is a platform that we want to get serious about. It's going to be part of the ecosystem that we have in place in the organization. What's the typical journey you would take them on over a three, six-month period? That is a really great question. And you're you're dead on. I don't know any customer I've gone in. I've gone into customers who've said, no, we're not using the Power Platform. And I'm like, I bet you you are. I promise you you are. Uh, but in these unicorn scenario where they're not, the it's important to set up those digital guardrails and to have visibility and set yourself up for success. Mm. There's the crawl, walk, run approach, which I think we've all heard of, but it's really important to 
create your digital guardrails. And what I mean by digital guardrails to get actually into the weeds is things like environment strategy is really important. How do you want your makers to use the platform? How do you want them to develop? What does application lifecycle management look like for these different solutions? Because low code does not mean low complexity. And yes. I think that's something a lot of people don't understand. You'll still follow things like um, code management and application lifecycle management, all that slightly different to how you would do it with traditional code, but the principles still apply. Like we still use agile methodology when we develop for our clients using mm-hmm. low code. So that's really important to remember. The other side of digital guardrails are data, data, data policies, as they're now called. So ensuring that you have a good handle on your connectors, because the place where things can get messy from a business user perspective and a, a, a data perspective is connectors. That's mm-hmm. where you're going to do the damage. So ensure you know what connectors are available. Ensure you're comfortable with doing things like business and non-business and blocked connectors and having all of that set up. And once that's all good, you would start to then move to a maker enablement strategy. And with the introduction of Copilot for the Power Platform, which if you're not familiar with, do Google build and look at day two's keynotes from Charles Lamana, and he has a great uh, presentation on that. This means that maker enablement is going to be accelerated very quickly because Copilot now allows you to literally type in, I want to create an app to record event registrations. Mm -hmm. And it will create the tables for you. It will create a very basic um, dummy data. It will create very simple canvas app for you whole thing but it gets your makers going yeah and that's really cool but you also need to think of what are your business use cases so in order for the platform to be adopted successfully you have to have a decent backlog of things that are going to impact the business in a way that people will go that's really cool this is something that we can use in our department and get people excited about it because yeah. if you don't create a buzz it's not going to get adopted so couple of key tips. Yeah, nice, nice. We've you've you've mentioned AI a few times and I'd be remiss not to uh talk about it in the concept of governance. What do you think, you know, we know AI is going to permeate everything. I I even uh something I've been discussing with colleagues is will there be will there be a concept of low code no code within 5 years. In other words, will it be no you just tell AI and it will build you know, a co-pilot that we have now is version zero, right? Imagine yes. five years from now, right? Once that toddler is growing up, what are we going to have? Um, we'll be a very educated um, uh, system. From a point of governance, what are your thoughts? A couple of things. First and foremost, the version of co-pilot that we have right now, it is technically in preview and there are some issues with it. My example of creating that Canvas app mm-hmm, with mm-hmm. Uh, event registrations, the the AI does not realize some of these tables may already exist. Mm-hmm. So if you have makers using Copilot, it may create duplications of tables. Like you may end up having five different tables called events. And the, as a maker, I don't know how to pick what the right one is. So hopefully they they mitigate that in the future. But yeah. that's an issue with Sprawl. So ensuring that you have Copilot only turned on in your trainer environment, it should never be turned on in production. 100%. Ever, ever, ever. So that's really important. But the other side of that is your makers are going to learn how to use this platform far faster than previously anticipated. So getting your guardrails in place now is more critical than ever. AI is here to stay. It's not just a fad. It's it's going to get smarter. It's going to get better. But in order for us to be responsible, you have to stay on top of it and ensure those guardrails are in place. Because now with, you know, with... um 
with Copilot for Power Pages, and I'll always go back to Power Pages as my example because mm-hmm. it's the most dangerous one there is. Mm-hmm. A maker can go in and say, I want to create a website that um, displays all of my event registrations. And all yep. of a sudden, you've got all of your customers' information out there on the web, and it's your own fault if you did not set up those security guardrails correctly. Really good example using Power Pages there. Um, as, you, as you've been drilling into AI more and, you know, we're soon going to have AI directly on the desktop with Windows, which mm-hmm. I think which I think is going to be a massive game changer, especially if it, l- if, if it learns everything that I do and then starts um, showing me how either I could do it more efficiently or even better go, you know what, I can do it for you. And that level of trust, you know, AI is going to be a trust journey, right? Over the next five years, our confidence, our trust levels will grow. We will hand off more of our lives to it. Um, And how do we ensure things, you know, and 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 I want to talk about just ethics for a moment, but really from a power platform perspective, not ethics around AI in the world and stuff, because there's plenty of debates around that what what do you think around uh, ethics and responsibility for and, and how you talk with organizations in, in the context of the power platform i think it's really important one of the key takeaways i'm hearing from customers when we talk about ai and they're going to call ai things like chat gpt mm-hmm. every customer i speak to calls it chat gpt when it's not that but anyway that's another conversation is teaching them that you can set it up so that your models will only utilize your own data internally and that data does not get sent out externally. So it's important that you leverage a partner to help you do that if you're not super savvy because you don't want to set up a direct connector to OpenAI that leverages a GPT model. That's one of the standard GPT models because all of a sudden, if you are you put that in with PVA as an example or yeah. our virtual agents, yep. you start your employees start leveraging that and all of your data is going to be going out to the public chat GPT model. Yeah. And I know uh, if I remember correctly, I think it was Samsung. I think it was Samsung actually turned turned off blocked access to chat GPT to all its employees because that data was getting out into the, the open world. So it's really important that if you are going to leverage AI, make sure you know how to use it. And if you don't know how to use it, hire someone. It's kind of like electricity or an electrician. You can probably you probably know enough to be dangerous, but you're also one or two tweaks away from potentially killing yourself. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. <laughs> hire an electrician, hire a partner. <laughs> I like it. I like it. I like it. If we could, if we looked at the maker community inside an organization, Think about what has created phenomenal growth in that community. You know, is is there a tip to make it go viral? Um, as in, what have, what have you seen that really has organizations that, you know, have adopted the platform? And so they're thinking not of five or six apps. They're thinking of thousands of apps. They're thinking of thousands of automa- automations. How, what have you seen that really creates a viral nature in their maker community that really has it spread across departments, across teams, um, across individuals challenging other individuals to to learn more and and to create yeah that um, that viral nature. I'm saying yeah. How do you how do you create a virus inside a maker community that has everybody want to be part of it? That's a really great question. I love this question because it's it's very 
difficult. There's no one answer to it. And I, I kind of hark back to the model that we have at Hitachi. Cause I mean, that's, I feel like that's a bit of a cop out cause we have so many amazing makers <laughs> at Hitachi, but giving them a place to share ideas and to consult with each other and to ask each other questions is really, really important. I cannot emphasize that enough. It's not enough just to give people the tools to do so. You have to give them a place to, to talk about it. So within, um, it's not part. It's not technically part of the COE, but Microsoft did release a template, uh, which I think is the the community template that you can use for the Power Platform. It allows you to create a SharePoint site that is kind of like a forum where yeah. if you have questions, you can ask questions, post them. You could do some gamification there if you wanted to. I think uh, the nurture components within the center of excellence or center of enablement, whichever one you want to call it, yep. is really great. There's the app catalog that allows you to showcase the finest apps that your makers have created and share them out. So it's kind of cool. I could be like, oh, hey, I'm featured on the app catalog this week. You know, yeah. It's kind of like yeah. bragging rights a little bit. But you need to identify who those makers are. And you cannot do that without your governance tools, such as your Center of Excellence Starter Kit, which will allow you to see who's making what, what are they making, who's using it. And that'll help you get a feel for who your super users are, and you should leverage them to evangelize the platform. Mm -hmm. And a key thing that a lot of employers are missing is that you need to invest in these people. It's not enough to just take them and leverage them as the evangelists. You need to invest in them. And a really easy way of doing that is send them to conferences, send them to the Microsoft Power Platform Conference. When I went last year, I was blown away by the number of people who were new to Power Platform and had just discovered model apps as the, the cool new <laughs> application. I was like, please, I've been exactly. doing this for 12 years. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, invest in your makers. You can't just plug in this platform and expect it to run itself. You have to make some investment in your how do you, one of the questions that I've noticed just recently coming out of the UK is that, and I don't know if it's very British or what, but there's this whole idea of segregation of duties is not the right term. But let's say, I'll give you an example that we were always taught as Kiwis about people in the UK and about unions and things like that, is that if you're employed to to screw the top on a bottle, right, that's your job, that's what you're paid to do. If you saw a piece of rubbish on the floor and you picked it up, and this is extreme, of course, and I'm doing it on purpose, is that if you picked it up and put it in the bin, you just took somebody else's job. Someone was paid to pick up that bit of rubbish, and now you're taking it from them. And, of course, that was the extreme of unions, you know, and, and how I was brought up um, in a parochial country like, like New Zealand is. The thing is, if we go and look at this now in context of maker inside organizations, I am a subject matter expert in whatever my job is. It might be in the accounts department, a, an expert in payroll. Um, and now you're asking me to build apps. Now you're asking me to, to you know, automate, use software and automate part that. But I'm not an IT. I'm not an IT person. How do you handle that kind of um, even a worry uh, maybe from leadership that, hang on, if they're going to be building apps, they're not doing what they're employed to do. How do you tackle it? That is a great question. And it's truly the whole reason why the Power Platform was created was to essentially allow you to automate some of those really boring tasks. And I'll give you a really great example. I'm working with this brand new customer. And he says to me that every Saturday he has to put together this report by pulling all these fields into Excel and putting things together and a whole bunch of really manual steps. And I, I said to him, 
I think I can give you back your Saturdays. So could you imagine as a person, I have to spend time off doing this just because I know this report is done and I don't have time during my day to do it. If you were given a tool that let's say two or three weeks from now, you could automate that process and get your Saturday mornings back. Apparently his spouse wasn't delight, delighted about him getting his Saturday mornings back, but that's neither mm-hmm. here nor there. <laughs> Being able to give time back so that you could do some of the cool stuff or what are what are the list of things you're, you have that you're like, oh, one day I'll get around to doing that. Being able to say, well, what if that one day was three weeks from now and you automated all the stuff that was really, really boring. Yeah. It's not a case of, you know, this is going to take away from your job. It's actually going to enhance it. It's actually going to give you time back to be more innovative and creative and production productive. And that's that's the angle I try to take at it. Yeah. Nice. I mean, these people always been in organizations. They've been the Excel gurus, right? The go-to who's that person that's the go-to that 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 know enough about it, but also know their day-to-day job. Interesting. Naming conventions for makers. Um, you know, Slummer J, uh, Agent 001, 002, et cetera, and amazing. We've seen things like Power Rangers and, and things like that. Yeah. In creating that community environment, have you seen anything like, let's say, glue, stickiness, that kind of makes people feel a sense of pride as being, at being part of this um, – this part of the company. Yeah, I have. There's there's a couple of things that kind of come to mind, and for some reason, I, I immediately almost think of like the, the MVP community that mm-hmm. we're both um, yeah, yeah. really uh, humbled and honored to be part of. I think <laughs> is the phrase I'm, I'm legally bound to say. Yep. When you get that kind of recognition of, oh, hey, I did this cool thing, and somebody recognizes, like, yeah, actually, that is pretty cool, and they get to share that out. I think that's that's something that's really special. And when I when I look, actually, again, I, I like to look at Hitachi internally. We we recognize when our colleagues do really excellent things, and you know, we are encouraged to call that out. And, and I think if you foster that that sense of um, recognition and others, I think that's incredibly powerful. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. And we're at time. Anything, actually one last question as in managed environments, what are your thoughts? What's your take on them? Are they relatively new in the sense of only the last 12 months? What are your thoughts and how critically important are they in the enterprise? I'm not talking about smaller um, power platform deployments in the SMB, but particularly in the enterprise space where we're talking about thousands of staff potentially using apps and um, and solutions with the Power Platform? What's your views? I think that they have a place, but they're not a silver bullet for governance. I worry a little bit that people are going to say, oh, cool, manage environments. Now that's going to make my governance plan so much easier. I'll mm-hmm. just leverage them and then I won't have to worry about data prevention policies or anything like that. So while I think they're a great step in the right direction and they can certainly be leveraged, I don't want people relying on them as their sole source of management. Yeah. M, thanks so much for coming on the show. Yeah, of course. Thanks, Mark. It's good to see you again. Hey, thanks for listening. I'm your host, business application MVP, Mark Smith, otherwise known as the NZ365 guy. If there's a guest you'd like to see on the show, please message me on LinkedIn. If you want to be a supporter of the show, please check out buymeacoffee.com forward slash NZ365 guy. Stay safe out there and shoot for the stars.